Oh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening live in a friend's world on this Wednesday, February 19th, 2020. Oh my goodness, what a Wednesday today is. We got news all over sports. Of course, in a half an hour, co-host up as the mic, Sean Fitzgerald, will be joining me over the phone. We're going to be talking about the Astros and the MLB cheating scandal, along with the XFL and everything going down with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Of course, it wouldn't be a normal Wednesday without our great political divide in this country. It is currently 32 degrees out in Kent, Ohio. Because some people think that global warming is back. Of course, the left thinks global warming is real. The right thinks it's a hoax. It's a normal Wednesday in America, folks. But I am here to give you guys the best sports takes, in my opinion, of the day. And of course, if you cannot listen to this show live on BuckshowRadio.com, you can always check out our podcasting platforms on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, that is under Brandon's World on BSR. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen... I told you last week, I said, you know, there's three things in life that are true. I said, there is death, there is taxes, and the third thing is always debatable. And I said the fact that the Cavs were a dumpster fire. And ladies and gentlemen, as of this morning, it is official. John Beeline is no longer the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, here's the thing. Instead of the Cavs just naming J.B. Bickerstaff the interim head coach, I think there is, is a bigger part of the story than people realize. It is expected, according to the great Adrian Wojnowski, better known as Woj from ESPN, that J.B. Bickerstaff, who of course has, has a last name that, well, insists that he bickers with his staff, uh, will be taking over as the full-time head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Why do I think that's significant? Because if you guys remember, in November of 2018, so eh, a little bit over a year ago, I wrote one of my first in-depth articles for Box Girl Radio, and I talked about the five-year plan. I touched on this a little bit last week with our good buddy Quinn Griffin called in, but in that five-year plan, you guys can go back, back and look it up, I said... The Cavs necessarily don't have to get the right coach to about year three or year four. What they needed to do is get a coach that can develop players. In my opinion, especially in football, of course, coaching is everything. But in basketball, it's probably the least sport, especially in the NBA, where you need coaching. However, young guys need to develop. And that's why I defended the Cavs hiring John Beeline at the time. Because, of course, he was a college coach. He knew how to develop college kids. That's what the Cavs need right now is somebody to help develop kids. They don't need a winner right now, in my opinion. They don't need to find that championship head coach. There are rare coaches in this league that can develop young talent and win championships. A la Doc Rivers, of course, what he did in Boston. And, of course, the Clippers. Greg Abovich, Eric Spolstra, I would argue Miami. They're, these are rare coaches. That and, and by the way, Billy Donovan has kind of done it in Oklahoma City as well. Of course, Nate McMillan in, in Indiana. These are rare guys that can take a team that's young and then build, run it, and possibly win championships. But it doesn't happen that, that often in the NBA. So am I fine with J.B. Bickerstaff being the Cavaliers head coach? Surprisingly, 
Yes, I am. Because I don't think it's that complicated of a process. I think what you do now, and I talked about this a little bit with, with Q last week, is, as you guys know, I am the biggest believer in tanking. I believe that the Cavaliers must strip the roster. You must strip the roster. Because it was just reported today, too, that Andre Drummond, if John Beeline was coming back, he was gone. So what does that already tell me is, like I said last week, I don't necessarily believe him when he said, oh, I want to stay in Cleveland. That's just stuff they say to be politically correct. We'll see what happens in the offseason. What I would do personally, if I was the Cavs, would be I would let Andre Drummond go. I would let Tristan Thompson go. I would find a team for Kevin Love. You don't even have to give me great value. If you want to give me a late first round pick, fine. But I'm just I'm clearing the cap space. I am a big believer in literally stripping the roster. Like, I don't care if this Cavs team is so bad next year. If they literally just have Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and guys from the G League who are making nothing, and they go 0-82. This is not about winning yet. This is about developing talent. You can develop talent while losing. I think that's the biggest myth in sports. Of course, everybody wants to win. But in order to win big and win consistently, especially in the NBA, I believe it's about developing talent. And then you go out and you get your superstar. Because Darius Garland is a fringe all-star, in my opinion. He's not going to be a superstar. Colin Sexton, me, at best, is your Lou Williams. Is your Patrick Beverly. Great sixth man. You need that superstar. You need to go knock on Giannis's door, Kawhi Leonard's door, LeBron James's door. It's the reason why I'm wearing a LeBron James jersey today. In 2021 and 2022, that's what the Cavs need to do. And if they're going to give Andre Drummond the max contract, they're not going to be able to do that unless they trade him in the 2020 offseason. And you're not going to be able to do that if you still have Kevin Love on the books. Heck, I would even argue Larry Nance makes too much money. So, in my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, this is a really bad look for the Cavs organization. Only because the Cavs have not embraced the tank. If the Cavs publicly came out like the Sixers did, and I believe it was in 2012, maybe 2013, maybe I'm wrong on that. But I believe that like the Sixers, if the Cavs came out and said, hey, listen, we're going to lose. It's going to be tough for you fans. But we're going to get this thing right in two to three years. Then I would be very acceptable. But the issue is the Cavs are still, their message, their message from an organizational standpoint is, no, we're not trying to tank. We're trying to get better because we're trying to put an entertaining product out on the floor for you fans. Look, let's be honest, and Sean Scullers and Zoe Orlando stated this last week on my show. He said, guys don't go to Cavs games to watch the game. They go there for the fun, the festivities, like it's basketball. Basketball is a fun sport to watch live. That's what people are going there for. We know we're not going to win. Steven Jackson talked about this on Colin Coward's show, The Hurt, on Monday. It was really hard for him when he was in Charlotte with the Bobcats. If you remember, he helped get them to the playoffs. He said, we knew every night we were the worst team, and it was hard. He said, in San Antonio, I just showed up, and, and I knew if we showed up, we had Tim Duncan and David Robinson, we would win a championship, and that's what happened. 
It's hard to win in the NBA, folks. LeBron James is the anomaly. He went to eight straight finals. He's probably going to go to nine and ten years this year. The Lakers are the anomaly. The Celtics are, are, the, are the anomaly. There's a lot of bad organizations in the NBA. But don't forget, the Spurs were bad before they got Tim Duncan. Don't forget, even these teams like, like the Cubs in baseball, you know, New England in the NFL, the Saints, they were really bad for a while. Not everything is always greener. And I understand why the Cavs don't want to embrace the tank. I understand tanking is not a good image for the league. But the issue is, do you want to be a 7th or 8th seed and celebrate getting to the playoffs maybe once or twice and then going back down to the bottom like Detroit is right now when they add Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin and all those guys and then LeBron just took them off the floor and that was the end of their run? Or do you want to take a few years off and be like where the Sixers are now? Now, the Sixers have more issue than talent. The Sixers are one of the most talented teams in the league. They have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Josh Richardson, Tobias Harris. They could win the East if they get their stuff together. The issue is, will they? And to me, they're the most frustrating team in basketball, but at least they are in contention for a potential Eastern Conference championship run. And that is why they tanked for really three years. Now, you got to get the draft picks right. That's the whole key in this, is you got to get the draft picks right. But if the Cavs can hit on their 2020 and 2021 draft picks, and they tank, this team could be scary if they land one of the top free agents in 2020. All right, so let me shift to this. Uh, So I was very critical of the NBA All-Star Game format. First show of the semester, Dante Santavante, our lovely TV2 sports analyst, who is a great NBA historian, came on here and was basically like, Brandon, why are you complaining? And, you know, I got to say, Dante, you were right. Now, at first, I did not understand the format. I didn't get the format. Remember, my problem with it was, hey, Kobe Bryant would not want this. Kobe Bryant would just want the game he played like a normal game and guys to go hard. Well, I was completely wrong. Now, the first three quarters of the NBA All-Star Game, as I wrote for my article on BuckstoreRadio.com, you can go check that out right now. It's the top featured post on our website currently. I said, hey, well, for the first three quarters, the All-Star Game was mostly just the same. A lot of dunks. Team scoring. Team LeBron got off to a fast start. They put up 53 points in the first quarter. Then Team Giannis came back and down into the second. Then we had a tie third quarter. And, of course, the winning team for each quarter won charity. And you know what? I'm fine with that. But the fourth quarter? Who was that fourth quarter entertaining? And, boy, did it live up to the hype. Let me read you guys this mind-boggling stat. Now, this is mind-boggling, ladies and gentlemen. In the fourth quarter of an all-star game, there were a total of 21 fouls called. Let me repeat that. 21. I'm not even sure in the past decade if there were 21 fouls called total in 10 all-star games. There were 21 fouls called in the, in the fourth quarter. Of course, a a untimed corner where you had to get to the target score, which ended up being 157 because Team Giannis was leading and they had a score of 133 at the end of the third quarter. 
Folks, I'm not sure about the untimed quarter thing. I'm not sure if that was the difference. I think if you had a running clock, maybe it would be the same. Again, I don't know. But NBA, I got to give it to you, man. I have to give you a round of applause because you really stepped up. I have been very critical of the NBA. As a matter of fact, those of you that have been listening to me for a long time are probably shocked that I am talking about the Cavs and the NBA in my first two segments on this show today. But I said, look, the NBA was going to get better after this offseason. And it relatively has. It hasn't been great as we all thought. And I've said, I think part of it is because Kyrie Irving has been hurt a lot. We don't have Steph Curry. We don't have Clay Thompson. We don't have Kevin Durant. We didn't have Victor Oladipo for a while. We don't have these star players playing. But I thought the All-Star game, man, I thought those players really cared. I thought they tried. Of course, Kyle Lowry taking the fouls. Uh, the gold ending call, to be honest, I thought was completely BS on Giannis. I thought you could clearly see LeBron had the ball on the cylinder before Giannis blocked it. I think part of that was the way to stretch the game on. I saw some people speculating maybe it was fixed towards the end. Um, and, you know, uh, I have always proclaimed the NBA's fixed. But to be honest, I wouldn't even mind if they did that. It made it so entertaining. It got me on the edge of my seat because, as you guys know, I'm one of the biggest LeBron James fans. I think he is the GOAT. I unequivocally was rooting for Team LeBron. I I actually thought Team LeBron was better than Team Giannis. By far, Team Giannis put up a good fight. But, man, that was an entertaining all-star game. Now, as for the dunk on us. I know everybody's up in arms. Oh, my God. Aaron Gordon got robbed. He did. I'm not going to lie. He did. But as for the dunk contest itself, folks, if you think this dunk contest was one of the best ever, did you watch the dunk contest in the mid-2000s, early 2010s? Did you see Blake Griffin jump off a car? That is a good dunk contest. This stuff now where people are just jumping over people. Now, I'm going to give Aaron Gordon the jump over Taco because obviously he's a seven foot five. Oh, man, he's my dream NBA player. If he would have pulled Bull Bull out of the crowd, I would have lost my mind. So I'll give you that. But, you know, Aaron Gordon jumping jumping over, you know, rappers and all this stuff. Like, it's not entertaining. We've seen it before. And also the problem is, you know, Aaron Gordon, as good of a dunker he is, he's a better dunker than an NBA basketball player. He wasn't an all-star. You know, Derrick Jones wasn't an all-star. They're just in the dunk contest because they're athletic and stars don't do the dunk contest anymore. And that's the problem with it. Where's the stars? I've always wanted to see LeBron do a dunk contest. We know Michael Jordan did a dunk contest back in the day. You know, what about guys like Giannis? Could Giannis do a dunk contest? How about Evan Durant? How about everybody's favorite on number two, Kawhi Leonard? What about these guys doing the dunk contest? The three-point contest is fine because anybody that can knock down a three and shoot a three, man, the three-point contest is intense, it's entertaining, it's down to the last shot. Congratulations, Buddy Hill. Again, I think this year the three-point contest kind of lost its, you know, prestige, if you would say, because of guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson being out. But I said that the three-point contest was the main event, and I've said this for the last five years. The three-point contest should be the main event, and they should get rid of the dunk contest. 
The dunk contest was not entertaining. I thought Eric Gordon, besides the taco dunk, I thought he had one more good dunk. One more dunk that I would have gave a 50. Had these dunks are giving 50s? Now, they're just giving away 50s, man. Those would be twos, threes, and fours. If I'm judging, you don't want me on a, on a dunk contest panel. In order for me to make a dunk a 10, you have to open my eyes. I have to see something I've never, ever seen before. And I have to see something that makes me go, other guys can't do that. That is wow. You know, in wrestling, they talk about it all the time. This guy has charisma. John Cena has charisma. Triple H has charisma. Edge has charisma. In the NBA, everybody is athletic now. I mean, you look at even the skills challenge, guys. Big men are winning the skills challenge. Bam, I buy you. Jason Tatum. These big men can be athletic now. Everybody's athletic in the NBA. If you're unathletic in the NBA now, you have no place in the NBA. And that's like Steph Curry because he changed the game. So, ladies and gentlemen, the dunk contest was only entertaining because you guys can tweet and everybody can go, wow, and these millennials just love everybody that can do a simple dunk. That's the problem. People growing up nowadays and people on social media, you just all want to think everything. Everything is great. The next thing is great. You know, when I was growing up, even in the mid-2000s, from about my, my preschool years to about sixth grade, I didn't have social media. So when I was growing up, it was all, oh my God. It was like, wow. I've never seen that before. Thing is, though, now people can go on YouTube, they can watch clips, they can go on Twitter, and everybody sees everything. So nothing is spectacular, nothing is wow. I thought Aaron Gordon had one good dunk when he threw it off the backboard, caught it with one hand, and did a windmill. And that is what I like to see from the dunk contest. That, to me, was the winner of Aaron Gordon. Like I said, I think he got robbed, but did I think it was one of the best dunk contests ever? No. And I'm not going to get involved in a dunk contest controversy because it really doesn't mean anything. All right, so last thing I want to talk about with the NBA is now there's a new notion out there, and it's coming back to white people. The notion is that people do not want to play with LeBron James because, of course, Reggie Jackson signed with the Los Angeles Clippers as of this morning, and Detroit bought him out. Why did Detroit buy him out? Again, Cavs fans, take notes. Why did Detroit trade Andre Drummond? Why are they buying out Reggie Jackson? So they can save money, they can tank, they can get a good draft pick, and maybe be good in a couple years. Maybe Detroit has finally come to their senses. But this notion, folks, that people do not want to play with LeBron James is BS. DeMarcus Cousins signed with the Lakers. Of course, he got hurt. Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley, Danny Green. Everybody on the Lakers obviously wanted to play with LeBron James. That's a whole new roster. And the reason why the Lakers are working this year is because of this. There's no more kids. LeBron went to L.A. last year as kind of a gap year. You know, they say the year after high school, if you want to take off, figure out what you want to do with your life and then go to college... That's called a gap year. LeBron took a gap year last year where he said, okay, I'll go to LA. I'll see what I got. But then let's make changes and let's go for it year two. And of course, they pulled off 
the the Anthony Davis trade. Now LeBron is happy because LeBron has never had a teammate like Anthony Davis, who is just out of this world special. But Reggie Jackson signed with the Clippers because he's going to get more playing time because LeBron is their point guard. Their backup point guard is Rondo. And LeBron's going to handle the ball 40 to 45 minutes in the playoffs. LeBron doesn't sit in the playoffs. It might be different this year, but for the last eight years when LeBron has made the finals, especially the four years he was in Cleveland, every time LeBron went to the bench, even when the Cavs had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, the team would get behind. And LeBron had to come in and save the day, and y'all still don't appreciate that, which I don't understand. So this year, LeBron's going to have to come in, and he's hoping that when he goes to the bench, maybe Andy Davis can score a little bit more. But he's not going to go to the bench because the Lakers don't have a deep bench, which is my issue with them. I think they can win the championship, and I think it's going to come down to the Lakers and the Clippers. And what's going to be awesome next year is when Golden State comes back and you've got Curry, you got Clay Thompson, you got Draymond Green. Now, I won't be rooting for Golden State, but Golden State wanted to face either the Lakers or the Clippers in the second round of the playoffs. I'm not even including Houston. Houston ain't even going to make it out of the first round. Sorry, Rockets fans. You literally don't have a center on your roster. It's not going to work. But for this year, and it looks like the Lakers are going to get the quote-unquote home court, even though they're both in the same building. They'll just paint the Lakers logo four times. So the home court isn't really going to matter. The one and two seed isn't really going to matter. It's just going to matter who you face in the first and second round. It's going to come down to, in the Western Conference Finals, do the Lakers have a guy that can guard both number two and Paul George? And do the Clippers have guys that can wear down LeBron and, and Anthony Davis? Now, for the Clippers, I'm worried about their ability to guard Anthony Davis because they don't have a lot of bigs. But they can throw a lot of guys at you. They can throw Marcus Morris, Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Paul George, number two. These are all great defenders. The Lakers have Avery Bradley and Rayshon Rondo. That's it as to who can really defend. Jared Dudley not really doing much. Uh, Caruso is not really a defender. Danny Green is more of a spot-up three-point shooter. We know Kuzma isn't really that much of a defender. Dwight Howard is your rim protector. JaVale McGee is your rim protector, but they both cannot really shoot. So that's where the Lakers are flawed, and that's where I think in a seven-game series, both teams have experience. I think the Clippers are a little bit better coached, and that's why I think the Clippers are still my favorite to walk out of the West with the Western Conference Championship. All right, so coming up next, over the phone, we're going to have as the Mike co-host, Sean Fitzgerald on with us. Sean Fitzgerald is, of course, our baseball analyst, I call him. He knows more about baseball, in my opinion, than anybody else here at the station. We're going to be talking about the Astro scandal, what he would do if he was Commissioner Manfred. Plus, we'll talk about more on the cab situation and the XFL. That is coming up here on Brand World. Hey, listeners. Think about leaving us after the show? Well, don't. Why? Because we have 55 other fantastic shows that play 7. That's right, 7 days a week. Every day from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. Our programming but the random radio and are guaranteed to rock your socks off. Also, we got for ticket giveaways and other projects throughout the semester. If you need even more bucks your radio in your life, make sure to check out the amazing music and TV and pop culture articles on our website. And make sure to keep it locked on BucksYourRadio.com. We'll be back here on Brand's World.
Ladies and gentlemen, I should have on the line with me here Sean Fitzgerald from Pass the Mic. Sean, how are you, my man? Doing good, and I'm uh, I'm flattered by the compliments about being the baseball analyst at BSR. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate it. As I said, you know, I believe more more in baseball than anybody else. So, Sean, let's get right right into it, man. If you were the commissioner, if you were Ron Manfred, what would you do about this Astros situation? Uh, I would have. Here's what I would have done. I would have actually done. The players would have gotten less on suspensions if they, had, depending on the information they're willing to give. I was not happy with them granting complete immunity. It should have been based off of what information you give us. It will determine any if uh, any suspension is warranted, or if the information you give us is not enough, then we will suspend you for X amount of games, depending on what is provided. I still think that at this point, like I, I posted something yesterday onto Twitter. Uh, just kind of my thoughts, especially with like Manfred defending, uh, you know, Astros hitters at this point. It's just, I think the players should be suspended. I pull a Goodell right now and basically suspend. I suspend the three big ones or three, four, three or four big ones: Correa, Altuve, Springer, maybe Gurriel. Just get some of those guys and knock them out for a few games. See how Houston would do. I think I would have done more. It's just hard to say. Like, there's just so much anger in the sport. There's so much unified anger. Mike Trout finally saying something is huge in that he is one of the most respected voices in the game. He is the best player in the sport. And the fact that there's, like, nothing being done in terms of player punishment, there needs to be more. And I I would say, like, just as I said I think Manfred is a decent commissioner, flaws and all, but he has totally bossed the situation. He's granted complete immunity, and he should have just done it on a case-by-case. Like, whatever you provide us, that determines your suspension length or if you get one at all. And, you know, the the Astros aren't going to be suspended. That's a win for them. And Manfred's edict for you to not throw at Astros hitters due to a few vocal voices, I'm like – now, if you're throwing at the head and the neck, that's a no-no, but a plunk on the bum or the thigh, that's enough to get justice across. Now you're going to have a hard time, and it's going to be assumed retaliation if you throw inside. And I'm not one to really intentionally like throw in at batters. I don't really advocate that in normal circumstances, but especially if you're throwing at a vital area, no way. That's like automatic ejection. But this is an exception, and maybe this is just part of the ball player in me talking, I was not one, even when I was, you know, playing ball, to kind of think along these lines. But it's just it's such a rough situation. It's something that I hate the Astros for right now, not just because I feel like 2018 we may have gotten cheated out of, uh, you know, a series because two of those three games that the Indians played against the Astros were in Houston, but all of baseball has basically been cheated. I still think they should take, a, like, all of Reggie Bush, take away the trophy, take away the rings. And not word to anybody, just have it be like a blank slate. There's no winner that year. And honestly, here's what I would do if I were the players and if I'm the fans. Don't vote for a single Astros player and let only one Astro represent him. And let that one Astros player, whoever it is, at the All-Star game in Dodger Stadium, let them hear it. I mean, that is just, there is much stronger feelings that I've discussed. Jim Crane, I, I feel bad for the position Dusty Baker's been put in. Because, you know, he got hired and he deserved a job, but he 
was put into an untenable situation. Uh, it's just bizarre world right now. And the fact that we're hearing so much animosity and unity among the players, I just worry what happens if any Boston players, you know, like are implicated in their scandal. And hopefully that if there is, it's minimal and that that'll be the end of it. And that the rest of baseball can focus on themselves. So question for you, Sean, if you're stripping Houston's world championship, Shouldn't you also strip Boston's World Championship from 2018? That's the thing is that with Boston, I still want to see the facts of the case come out before I say yes or no to that. I'm someone who wants to see at least due process come through. So I'm going to say let's wait. Let's see what comes out. And depending on that information, I would make a determination after that. You know, I would need to at least look it over and be like, this is something that is on par. I can't, like, I'm going to presume that Boston is going to be found guilty of something, but I don't want to, you know, just say we will strip them right now until I see whatever report comes out, whatever, you know, it happens to be that they publish. is like, that's what I want to see before I say anything on Boston being stripped. But I think the sign stealing, uh, depending on, um, as of right now, the sign stealing seems a lot worse. It definitely is very, very bad for the sport. It's a black eye. But I want to see what Boston really did in order for me to say one way or another if they should have their title stripped for certain. Because I want to just, you know, have all the facts in front of me before I say something stupid. Now, also, Sean, nobody in the steroid era has gotten their championship stripped. And, of course, that was considered cheating all all across baseball. So if we're stripping mm-hmm. the Houston Astros World Series championship, shouldn't we strip everybody in the steroid era then? Here's the thing. No, because the steroid era, like I'd say most players, you know, there were players who were taking on a lot of teams. But this Astros thing... This is relegated to one team and one team only. That's why I think there's a differentiating factor here, is that it's just the Astros. The Astros did it. It's not like any other team did it or that we know of right now. Well, Boston I'm, could I'm, be a part I'm, of that. Boston's I, I also part of the game. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm saying, like, just separately, but, like, where we're at right now, we're talking about stripping it. Like, you can't prove that every player on a team was taking steroids. The fact that it was... The entire Houston organization, the players, the coaches knew, the GM knew. That's a different situation than, say, like, you know, a couple players on each team, whether they're all-stars or, like, you know, role players. I think that's why, like, I'd be more willing to strip Houston of their title and maybe Boston, depending on what comes out, than what I would be willing to do for anyone implicated in the steroid era because there's just too many and there's too many variable factors, like, is there is one person's contribution what is really a deciding factor? Because you play 162 ball games, and some ball games, you know, a player may have sat out and they still may have won a game, and it's, it just really depends. Like that's a sticky situation where like we could debate like for a whole hour on this, but I think because it's focusing on one team, just we're just talking about Houston here, not even talking about Boston at the moment. Because it's just Houston, I think it's easier to say that we want to strip them of the title than it would be to strip several teams of their titles from the steroid era. 
Because I'm not sure, and maybe I'm wrong on this, I'm not following up on my history, I'm not sure if teams advocate for players, you know, to take steroids, but I could certainly say that, you know, with the way this Houston scandal has gone down, I'd be more willing to strip them of their title. The issue to me with stripping championships is can you actually prove that the reason why they won the championship is cheating? Because Houston did have a loaded yeah. team. They yes, were Houston, I think you can because you here's the thing. When you steal signs and I've even done this before too, like but discreetly, like where it's not technology based and that's the thing, it's the technology. They're they knew what was coming. But, like if you listen to some of the videos you would hear like a bang if there was like you know an off-speed pitch coming. They'd lay off. It'd be a ball more often than not. If it was like a fastball, you'd hear nothing. The player would just swing away. That is different. Like you, if you have the signs and you know what's coming, and you're cheating like that with technology, technology is what's really the driving factor here. Like you're supposed to be on a level playing field. If you're going to steal any signs, it better just be the normal, oh, you're on second base, or if you happen to catch a glimpse of something from the dugout or whatever. Like, and you just kind of relay that before they mix signs up, because you're going to mix signs up usually, especially at the pro level, minor league level, multiple times a game. So it's just more so, uh, like, as I said, like, with this, the technology involved and them knowing what was coming, they cheated big time. It was unquestionable unquestionable uh, offense and the fact they as I said they knew what was coming so you had an advantage over every other team and those pitchers they they had no idea how to counter like they didn't know what to do that's that's where I leave it at that yeah again and I'm not defending Houston at all I believe that players should be suspended but this would be my argument is I would suspend the team a playoff berth for like the next year. Like I would ban them from That's the postseason this season. Was, here's what I would say because I would say whenever they're next eligible to make the postseason, that would be the year that you ban them. So like let's say this year they make the postseason, that would be a punishment that I would consider. If they were to qualify for this year's postseason, you'd be like, nope, sorry, you're not going to make it this year. You'll have to qualify for another year, and it's basically kind of like how, uh, you know, NCAA uh, bowl ban. Like, oh, sorry, you're not able to go, even though you're, you know, 12-0 like Ohio State was in, like, 2012. You can't go because you broke the rules. Correct. My issue with stripping a championship is that, to me, takes it to a whole another level because you're you're also affecting the people that were not involved in that, you know, uh, scandal. There there might have been some players that had no idea. You know, there there might have been some players that didn't cheat at all. So I think that you're really affecting, in my opinion, just the, the whole outlook of baseball if you strip a championship. That is so severe. And obviously cheating is not right. Go on, yeah. John. Here's the thing. I don't think you can strip away the rings from the players. I think, But I think you can take away the trophy at the very least. The rings, I don't think they're going to be able to take away. I think those would be a harder thing to do. But if you take away the commissioner's trophy and just place it in a vacant locker, I think they'll be fine doing just that. You know what I'm saying? Take down the banner. But, like, they'll still have their rings. It's like a memento, but it would be more so a tainted memento. 
Yeah, again, I just don't know about stripping the championship. As uh, I said, it's rough. It's rough, but I think with ha- this just being one singular team, it was one team, not a whole array of players across multiple teams, that it's easier to say that and possibly even think about doing that. But Manfred should have gone harder on the players and the team personally. I'm, I'm still curious if baseball's owners, if anything keeps coming out, what – they might do because I know there were some owners initially who wanted to fight to keep Manfred out of the commissioner's role and rather promote from one of the baseball's owners from within. But unfortunately, after like one or two rounds of voting, uh, when uh, Bud Felix's term is coming up and to you know get his replacement, uh, there are just not enough owners who were able to stay on the bandwagon to keep Manfred out of the position. So I'm wondering if with the CBA coming up and player anger towards Manfred, you know, amplified. If this is a time where, like, someone like, uh, I think one of the owners for the Red Sox, maybe it was John Henry, if I remember correctly, or uh, one of the Chicago owners might be uh, the person that they look to maybe study baseball and try and take this a little bit of a different direction. Because Seelig basically picked uh, Manfred more so as, like, his right-hand man in a way, too. So... That's what I'm wondering. Is is that what might happen? Possibly. Is it what's going to happen? I don't know. I want to say it's probably not likely, but I'd like to see if that's any conversation that's been going on through back channels currently within Major League Baseball's owners. Fair enough. Uh, I want your opinion on the proposed MLB new playoff format. Now, I have said this, this is one of the reasons why I have criticized Commissioner Manfred in the past. I think that this new playoff format and the way he's trying to change the game with, with obviously the pitching clocks and all that, I don't like it, and I especially don't like this new playoff format. Whoever came up with it to me should be fired on the spot. It makes absolutely no sense. Go ahead, Sean. Well, the playoff format, it's interesting, to say the least. Just, you know, looking over how it's conceptually designed, it'd be kind of like, I guess, what you would see from the NFL, except, you know, a couple more games, because the NFL, you can really only play, like, one game. You know what I'm saying? Like how the NFL's one is expand from 12 to 14 teams. However, at the same time, I think you could solve some of these issues Instead of going to this kind of style, kind of go to the NFL style where you could have a what? No, never mind. Not because the NFL has four divisions, it wouldn't work. But I think MLB, like if you could find a way to make that wild card game uh, instead of just one, just make it a three game series, best of two out of three wins a series, I wouldn't mind having that at all and have the home, the best, uh, you know, the four seed or the five seed, that four seed host all three games. Uh, I think that would be a more, you know, a better solution versus having one game to win or die by. Uh, just and pitching clocks—that's a whole other discussion for another time. If that ever gets implemented, I am going to. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not riot, but I'm going to be very. You're, upset. you're going to getting, rip. Getting back to the you're point, going getting, to rip baseball. Getting back to the point. Getting back to the point, though, I don't. I'm not really in favor of this uh, proposed format. It's interesting, but the fact that a team could pick another team to play against, 
that's what's got me a little bit. No, it's yeah. and then it's, the it's not interesting to me at all, Sean. Let me and there's another you. point here to it too. I, one more quick point. All right, go on and I'll respond. With with the seven team format they're proposing, I think the NL was really weak this year, if I remember right, with their wild cards, and that there's still a chance you could get a a sixth or seventh wild card team that's under 500, and I don't think that would look good on the league if you have an under 500 ball club getting into uh, the playoffs in baseball because that's rarely happened. I think the Rangers were the last ones who did it when they were a division winner several years ago, and I just don't think that would be a good look if you have one of your wild card teams being an under 500 club. Yeah, uh, Sean, I'm going to make the argument to you that the reason why baseball is so spectacular in August and September is mostly because of those races for the two wild card spots. If you add in six or seven teams from each, you know, a conference, you're going to make that race less meaningful. Let's take the American League this year, for example. If the new playoff format existed this season, there would be no free team race for the American League wildcard spot. The Indians would have made the postseason, and there would have been no September race. It would have been the Rays, the Indians, and the A's. They would have all made the playoffs. Every other team was so far behind. There would have been no race. That would have been it. There would have been no compelling baseball on the American League side in September, and that's what would ruin the sport because that's why people tune into baseball in August and in September and the dog days of summer, as we call it, because of those wild card races. And I just, you're, you're right. I don't get the point of teams choosing opponents. And I just, I don't see anything compelling about it. I don't see anything wrong with the MLB postseason format, besides the fact that I do think the wild card game should be changed, as you said, to a best two out of three. The team with the higher seed would host all three games. And that's the only thing I would change about the MLB postseason. Yeah, agreed. All right, so I I do want to move on. I don't know if you heard my my opening monologue today about the Cavs, but as you know, and I know you are a big proponent against this, but I believe in tanking and trying to get draft picks and trying to boost yourself up for a great potential free agent class in 2021 and 2022. And I think the only way for the Cavs to get back to that championship level is by next year getting rid of Kevin Love, getting rid of Larry Nance, getting rid of those high-priced contracts, basically starting over. You have Colin Sexton, Darius Garwin, and everybody from the G League, and I don't even care if you go 0 and 182. You're clearing the decks. You're setting yourself up. And by the way, you don't even need to find the eventual, you know, John Beeline replacement. I know J.B. Bickerstaff is now the actual head coach. I know he's not going to be the interim head coach. But you don't even need to find that championship level head coach yet. You just need a coach that can help develop talent. And as long as J.B. Bickerstaff can do that, I'm fine with him being here for the time being. All right, here's what I have to say to that. Like, love is going to be gone at some point within the next year. I have no I have no way of just being able to envision him in a uniform beyond this year. Now, would I like him to? Just from a nostalgia standpoint, yeah, admittedly. But I think the way the Cavs have been run, and since, like, the 
Well, the wrong factor is such a huge thing. And the way the Cavs are run, though, currently, like the last two years, you've still been able to get high picks. And don't forget, you had, what, the second best odds, third best odds for a high pick. And if you had not won a tiebreaker with Phoenix, you would pick like six or seven versus picking fifth and getting Garland um, with this new lottery format. Um, like, it's just going to depend on who can you build around because I think Garland, I've seen, like, you know, improvement from him from some of the games I've been able to cover for those of you who are listening in. I've actually been credentialed for some Cavs games. I've covered some of them. I've gone to Coach Beeline's uh, pressers or former Coach Beeline's pressers now, uh, you know, pre- and post-game. And just, but really just Garland's developed quite a bit. And Sexton, if you were able to make him more so like you're Jordan Clarkson, uh, I still think uh, he could still contribute as a starter. He has some of those qualities. But right now, I think you need to experiment a little bit with the end of the season. And if you're able to retain Drummond, let's see what you're able to get with the lottery, what way the ping-pong balls fall. Because if, you, if you're able to trade Love, you retain Drummond, and you know you have the core that you currently have mostly for the most part, Tristan Thompson, you know, signed traded away. I don't know if you're still going to get anyone in free agency. It just depends on can you make it even close to the eighth seed and how much money you're willing to offer to another team. It just really also depends on geography, too, because I believe the Athletic came out with a, uh article, and one of the questions was basically, what cities do you not really like, you know, like going to? And Cleveland was among one of the more cited ones. So we'll have to see. Like, NBA players, it just depends. I don't know how it's going to work out, but if the Cavs can build a solid foundation and prove that they've turned a corner with uh, you know promotion, Booker Staffler, he's here this year for the long term. Because don't forget, a few years ago he was thought of as you know a potential long term solution for I believe the Grizzlies. I still see him. He's young. He's forty. He could definitely still provide a lot of value to this organization. Maybe he's the right guy. Because don't forget, Ty Lue was in that same position that uh, Booker Staff uh, is in when uh, David Lab was the head coach. So that's what I've got to say. Yeah, Sean, I'm going to make another argument to you that if we're in the 2021 free agency, obviously that's that's a big class. You know, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron. LeBron could be. I believe Kevin Durant maybe as well. So obviously that's the class. Here's... I don't think Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant won't be eligible. He signed a four-year deal. Okay, so maybe I was mistaken on, on Durant, but here's the deal. If if I'm a sales pitcher and I go to you and I go, hey, listen, we have nothing but cap space. I can sign you because this is what also enticed LeBron to go to L.A. Hey, we can sign you, but we also have another max spot that we can use to get a star player in the next year or two if our organization looks steady. Because I think at the part of it with Cleveland, not only is it is it bad weather, but also the organization does not look well run. If you're re-signing Drummond, there goes one of those max spots. So if you're going to sign a, a Kawhi Leonard, let's say hypothetical, the Cavs sign Kawhi Leonard. Well, Drummond's your second max spot. So you're not going to be able to add another superstar. And I don't believe Andre Drummond's a player you can win a championship with. I mean, interesting point. Like, I don't know if I did say whether they would resign Drummond or not, but I am under the assumption now that Beeline is gone 
that he will more than likely just opt into his salary for next year, and then we'll see where it goes. Which from is there. fine. I don't if, know if they will. If, if he opts like, in. It's only one year commitment. And if if he opts in and leaves, that's fine. I'm just saying if, if he opts out and then you resign him to a long term deal, boy, is that going to be a mistake, in my opinion. That's going to be a it huge just mistake, on in the my cap opinion. Hit, really, but. It's going to uh, be around Drummond, 30, like, if, if 30 million. In, if he opts in right now, his options for the next for season, like 28 in, million, affect, I believe, is his option. It won't affect. It won't affect the 2021 free agency. It will not affect it. That cap number will not affect it because it's only for next season, and then it'll be off the books. So basically, right. that cash is cleared, assuming they don't resign him. Right. Which I'm fine with. But also, here's the issue with Drummond, and we've seen this with Detroit. You're still going to win games. So that's going to affect your draft positioning. Here's the thing about that. I don't, like this Cavs organization, the last two years now, year and a half, or year and three quarters, without LeBron, they have not been able to win squat. You've seen how horrible they've been, even with veterans like that, Clark. That's putting Lodge, it nicely. Drummond. All these guys, that's, that, that is saying it nicely. The funny thing is they have not been able to win at all despite having some talent. Not a lot of talent, but some talent. So what does that really say? I think it's more got to do with the talent that LeBron brought, elevated all of his teammates, and then now that he's gone, everyone's you know back to being like more so not not just scrubs, but more so just, what they really are, not, you know, star caliber or decent role players, because they've got to be around those guys who can elevate them, like a LeBron, like a Giannis, the James Harden uh, every now and then, and, you know, a couple other players around the league that I could probably think of if I had a little more time, but it just is a tough situation to gauge with the Cavaliers. And, yeah. All right, Sean. So, last topic I want to get to you really quickly is: Have you seen any of the XFL? Basically, I've seen almost next to none of it. I've seen some highlight clips from a couple of uh, the games. Not like anything spectacular. Uh, I like that they are the kickoff thing a little bit, where they, you know, I think it what has to go past the twenty yard line. If I remember hearing on the broadcast correctly, I could be off on that, and they are not all running down the field and there's still a chance, you know, you get more than, you know, past more the 25, you have a chance to get to 30, 35 and actually set up decent field position. That's interesting, but I haven't really seen much of it more. So just because of other stuff I've been doing, I'd like to sit down and watch like a whole game just to kind of get the experience of uh, what's really going on in the league. But I don't know. You know, if I'm really going to do that, because there's not other than I'd say maybe uh, Cardell Jones, who I, I'm an Ohio State fan uh, from you know birth. You know, I still love Kent State, but Cardell Jones being a quarterback might be the only reason I have any like real investment in that league. So why are why are you not invested? Is it just the you don't know anybody? Is it just the lack of star power? I would say, like, I, I feel like there are players that I know, and, like, when the names are brought up, it's like, oh, that's where they went. But it's more so just maybe it's a little bit of a lack of star power, but I think mostly it's just due to the fact that there's, a like, maybe it's just a sting from the AAF 
just kind of being fresh in our minds and being like, you know, will this thing fail again? And I think you just need to have better quarterback play. Matt McLoin is not a quarterback you want to be starting in the XFL. I mean, T.J. Walker, Cardell Jones, they're good quarterbacks to be able to start in the XFL, but you need to make sure that all eight of your current franchises has a better quarterback. Um, I'm not saying, you know, P.J. Walker, Carl Jones, they're fine. But if you have someone like Matt McGoin starting, you've got a problem. Okay, that is interesting, Sean. Hey, I got to let you go, my man. I appreciate uh, you going in and going anytime, man. All right, thank you so much, Brandon. Uh, hold on for a moment. Uh, noon to two, Fridays, uh, Pass the Mike Sports Talk. Me and Enzo Orlando will be diving into some of these issues and more. Also, a uh, challenge to my listeners, if we get to the number one overall cumulative at the end of the semester ranking, I will be shaving off my beard, so that's a little challenge to my listeners and also to yours if they want to tune in. Man, Sean, I don't know about you with a beard, man. I think I like you with it. I don't know about you without it. It, it would grow back out. I would grow it back out, but it would be live-streamed that I'd be actually shaving off the beard. It would be my razor of choice, too. I know, man, but it's like Fitz is, you know, you're. Uh, I can't think of the word I'm. I'm. I'm looking for your your image, I your personality is with a beard. Yeah, I talked to a resident of mine, and like they, they're like, you've not you like. I showed a picture of me with and without beard. They said I look like I'm 25 right now. I'm only 21. I'm going to turn 22 in May. Thank you. And then I looked 18 without it. So it's like, eh, maybe that's why people are telling me don't shave it, shave it off ever again. <laughs> well, that's a but, challenge to all you past the mic viewers out there. Make sure to get Fitz and, and enter the cumulative number one spot so Fitz can shave his beard. Hey, Fitz, thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. Calling anytime, my man. Yeah, both of us. See ya. That was, of course, Sean Fitzgerald from SV Mike. Now, ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, I have a new theory in the NFL, and it's about the draft. Also, what do I think my Eagles are going to do? What do I think the Browns are going to do in free agency? And I have finally made my decision on Tom Brady. That is coming up next at the top of the hour here on Brands World. Did you know that Go Radio sells station merch? Well, we do. We have several different types of t-shirts, stickers, pins, record balls, and more. Check out our merchandise via our website, BlockScoreRadio.com. You can find the shop link in the top corner of our site. And stay tuned and show everyone that you are nuts for BSR by buying all your favorite station merch. Top over two, coming up next here on Marin's World. Boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening live here to Brands World on this Wednesday, February 19, 2020. Welcome into hour number two. Of course, thank you to Skillet 
and Monster for our official theme song of the show. What a Wednesday. It is currently 33 degrees outside here in Kent, Ohio. We are live from the Bucks Score Radio Studio here in Franklin Hall. And my goodness, folks. I know about this. We have not talked about football yet, at least the NFL, and we are about to do that because I have a new theory on the NFL draft. And I'm going to make the argument to you as to why the Cincinnati Bengals should not draft a quarterback this year, at least in the first round. If I'm the Cincinnati Bengals, ask yourself this. What do I have? A.J. Green is probably not coming back. Right now, Tyler Boyd is my number one wide receiver. On most NFL teams, he is a number two. John Ross, he's pretty much trash. We can hopefully let him go sometime. We need to revamp our receiving court. Okay. How's our offensive line? Uh, Not very good. How's our defensive line? Old, slow, and trash. How's our linebackers? Not very good. How's our secondary? Maybe below average. Folks, Joe Burrow cannot fix all those problems. Trevor Lawrence, as good as he is, and you guys know I think he's better than Andrew Luck. I think he is a no-brainer number one pick. He could not fix those problems. Peyton Manning could not fix those problems. You know, Johnny Unitas couldn't fix those problems. The GOAT Tom Brady could not fix those problems in Cincinnati. The Bengals have a lot more issues than just quarterback. Ask yourselves this, folks. Is Andy Dalton really the worst quarterback in football? I would take Andy Dalton over, you know, Josh Rosen, uh, Mitchell Nobisky out in Chicago. To be honest, I would take Andy Dalton over Jameis Winston in Tampa. Yes, Jameis Winston is four years younger, but he's turnover prone. Andy Dalton really isn't turnover prone. Andy Dalton got the Bengals in the playoffs multiple times with good teams. Andy Dalton is still a average quarterback to me. The Bengals do not need to move off Andy Dalton. The Bengals are, are overthinking the room. This isn't the Pelican situation with Zion Williamson where they had a lot of young talent and they just needed that superstar, that dog that Zion has that Anthony Davis didn't have. The Bengals have almost nothing, okay? And the Browns, who of course got a lot of talent, they now have a new GM, a new coach. The Browns are a lot better off than the Cincinnati Bengals. And the Browns may still need to find another quarterback because Baker Mayfield, who knows about him? Now there's a new report about Baker Mayfield possibly going on a date with some girl. I saw that last week. I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to talk about it. But I'm just saying Baker Mayfield is is always in the news. You've never heard Andy Doan in the news. Andy Doan is a grown-up. Andy Doan can get the job done. And Cincinnati, what's Joe Burrow going to do? What's he going to do, run around all day, have to score 50 points a game because he doesn't have a defense? What's he going to do, get smashed like Andrew Luck because he doesn't have an offensive line? Cincinnati has way more issues than quarterback. Now, you look at a team like the Chargers. Even the Chargers, they had an anomaly year. Their quarterback got old, but they still have a very good team. They need a guy like Tua Tagovailoa, who, as you guys know, I don't think Tua's going to be great. As a matter of fact, here's my bold prediction of the entire NFL draft. The best quarterback in this class is actually the Georgia kid projected to go in the second round, Jake Fromm. 
Why is that? Why have guys like Russell Wilson and Nick Foles, who were third-round picks, and now even Ryan Tana, who I believe is a sixth-round pick, succeed in the NFL? Because they go to good teams. They have good schemes. They have good coaching. That's what works in football. It's not what works in basketball. It's not what works in, in baseball. Football is especially special for coaching. Quarterbacks need good players around them. As much as we make the quarterback to be the biggest position in football, which undoubtedly it is, you need your quarterbacks like Carson Wentz to Sean Watson. You need those guys to carry your team two times a year. That's it. That's all I would ask my quarterbacks to do. Two or three times a year, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Carson Wentz, Patrick Mahomes, Sean Watson, all these guys, you carry me two or three times a year. Joe Burrow's going to have to carry his team 16 times a year like Matthew Stafford would for the Lions. And Matthew Stafford's a very good quarterback. Like Matt Ryan's a very good quarterback for the Falcons. He won MVP one year. Matthew Stafford, as I said, very good for the Lions. But if I'm the Lions, Matthew Stafford is good. Could I move off him? Yes. But what's that going to change? If I get Justin Herbert or somebody in here, is it going to change my team? My team stinks. As good as your quarterback is, look at Carson Wentz and Jared Goff's careers. Carson Wentz did go number two overall to the Philadelphia Eagles. But if you guys remember that year, my Eagles, with a terrible coach in Chip Kelly, went 7-9 and nine, and 6-9 and nine with Chip Kelly. Pat Shermer ended up winning the final game as the interim head coach. And they had a, an average quarterback in Sam Bradford. So you get elite coaching in Doug Peterson. You get elite coaching in Carson Wentz, or elite quarterback in Carson Wentz, and he was a Super Bowl and three out of four years in the playoffs. Look at Kansas City. You get elite coaching in Andy Reid. We have an above-average quarterback in Alex Smith that checks the ball down too much. What do we do? We trade up for a guy named... Patrick Mahomes, I almost said Deshaun Watson because I'm going to move on to him next. We just get a guy named Patrick Mahomes, boom, we win the Super Bowl. Oh, Deshaun Watson. Remember Houston was making the playoffs with guys like T.J. Yates and Matt Schaub and all that revolving door quarterback? Remember the one year they had A.J. McCarron, they were bums, they had the 10th pick, they traded up, they got Deshaun Watson, boom, they're back in the playoffs. Folks, that's how football works. If I'm Cincinnati, I'm either doing one or two things. You can make an argument for both. Either A, draft Chase Young, the defensive end out of Ohio State, because you need to build a defensive and offensive line. Or B, you trade down in the draft to a team like the Chargers. Maybe you trade down from one to six or a team like Carolina. And you get multiple draft picks to build your offensive line, your defensive line. This receiver class is deep. You can go in the second and third round and find wide receivers in this draft. Maybe get a defensive back. Just get players. And then next year, you know, you'll have salary count space. You can go get a quarterback. You can trade up. You can accumulate some draft picks. It's what Miami's doing. It's why Miami is smart. It's what the Browns tried to do, and the Browns obviously may have made the wrong pick at quarterback. We don't know yet. But, folks, this notion that Joe Burrow has to go to Cincinnati to me is wrong. If I'm Joe Burrow, if I get charged by Cincinnati, I'm like, dang, my career's going to be ruined because I 
I can't get blocked. A quarterback can only do so much. He has to have that big offensive line protecting him. That's going to be the key to Joe Burrow's success. Now, there's another team in a very, very, very complicated situation. They're known as the New England Patriots. Their owner, Robert Kraft, adores their quarterback, Tom Brady, the GOAT, the 42-year-old. Their coach, Bill Belichick, can't stand Tom Brady. He wants to move off him. He's still mad about having to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. So for Tom Brady, and this is where New England is kind of on the fringe. New England apparently is going to lose their left guard, Joe Tooney, to free agency. That's another great offensive line. Tom Brady needs a wall in front of him to be successful. Tom Brady can still be a very good quarterback in the NFL. But what have we seen now, ladies and gentlemen, over the last couple of years? In the NFL, what do you have to almost be now? Mobile. And if you're not mobile, well, you better be accurate and you better be smart. Tom Brady is. Phil Rivers is not accurate. That's why I wouldn't pay Phil Rivers big money. You can't win a Super Bowl with Phil Rivers as your quarterback. Chargers finally learned that after 16 years. But Tom Brady, you can win a Super Bowl. And I'm going to name a place where Tom Brady could go when it's your boy. It's Indianapolis. And this is where it's so interesting because the Colts, they have a nice guy in Jacoby Brissett. But do we want to go for Tom Brady and win a Super Bowl? Or do we want to tank next year and go for Trevor Lawrence and have our future set? But what if we don't win a Super Bowl with Trevor Lawrence because bad bounces bounce our way? Or you're Dallas. Dak Prescott is a really nice quarterback. I've defended Dak Prescott so many times on this show. I think Dak Prescott is in the Kirk Cousins range. I think he's in that 20 to $25 million range of quarterback. Do I think Dak Prescott is Carson Wentz money? No. Do I think he's Jared Goff money? Yeah, but Jared Goff got overpaid. That's the issue. If the Cowboys overpay Dak Prescott and give a big deal, it's similar to what the Cavs would do with Andre Drummond. If the Cavs give Andre Drummond a big deal, they're going to be stuck. They're not going to be able to sign another max free agent besides one. But Andre Drummond's not a person you can win a championship with. Dak Prescott has to be in the perfect situation. He has to have that number one wide receiver in Amari Cooper. He has to have Ezekiel Elliott. He has to have an offensive line. He has to have a good defense. Carson Wentz doesn't have to have that. Deshaun Watson doesn't have to have that. Patrick Mahomes doesn't have to have that. So if you're Dallas, do you offer the moon? For Tom Brady, it'd be great for marketing sales. It'd be great for Tom Brady's brand. It'd be like LeBron James going to the Lakers. But for Tom, you're going to have to teach a guy a whole new system. For Dallas, is Dak, you know, is Dak your guy? We know Jerry's loyal. Would you win a championship with Brady? Would you win multiple with Dak? Like, these are going to be big decisions. That's why it's so fascinating to me this this offseason in the NFL. There's going to be big decisions that are going to have to be made. There's going to have to be grown-up decisions that are going to have to be made in NFL front offices. I got to tell you, if I'm New England, I go, Tom, I know you want to play till you're 45. Listen, Belichick, you're going to have to man up. You're going to either have to draft a receiver, you're going to have to trade for a guy like Stephon Diggs, or heck, I'll even throw in Alshon Jeffrey. 
You're going to have to go get a tight end. I will pay you a two- to three-year deal, whatever you want. I'll even give you an option if you want. I want to bring you back if I promise you I can get you the weapons. Because right now, Jared Stenham is not the answer. We don't know if we, we have the answer. But on the condition that if we bring you back and, and we get all these weapons, we're going to draft the quarterback and you are going to have to groom him. And when your contract is up, that way we have a succession plan. Here's the deal. Will Belichick be willing to do that? And I don't know if he will. I think Tom Brady should go back to New England, and this is the way I would negotiate. If I'm Bill Belichick, which obviously I'm not because I speak in a loud voice, but I would go, hey, Tom, I'll give you whatever weapons you want on the condition that we'll draft a quarterback and you will groom him. If Tom says yes, boom, we're good. However, if he doesn't, I think he'd tank the next year for Trevor Lawrence. And if Tom weaves, I know I've seen Tennessee be throwing out some options, but you still would have to compete with Deshaun Watson for twice a year. I don't buy him going to the Chargers. And the Chargers need to sell tickets with a fun, young, athletic quarterback. I, to be honest, really, and I hate to say this as an Eagles fan, I think the Cowboys are real, and I think the Colts are real. Now, do I think Giselle wants to live in Indy? No. But I think the Colts make sense. You have an offensive mind in Frank Reich. You have a wall at offensive line. You have a go-to receiver in T.Y. Hilton. You have a tight end in Jack Doyle. You have a defense that is coming of age with Matt Eberflus as its defensive coordinator. In Dallas, you have a stubborn guy in Mike McCarthy. He's not going to be as fun as Frank Reich. You have Zeke, who's a great running back, but you're obviously not used to great running backs. Your receivers, you don't know if you're going to bring back Amari Cooper. T.Y. Oden's already better than Amari Cooper. They don't really have a star-studded tight end. Their offensive line is getting older where the Colts' offensive line is young, and Dallas's defense is not going to be as good as the Colts' defense. So I think the Colts make a lot of sense if Brady were to leave. Remember, we did not think Peyton Manning was going to leave Indy. Boom, they moved off of him. And they got Andrew Luck. Peyton Manning went to Denver. And it took him four years to win a Super Bowl. And he got carried by his defense in that game. Folks, unfortunately, as you guys know, I have defended Brady and Belichick. I want this dynasty to continue. But to me, from the looks of it, it's over. Again, I, I hope I'm wrong on this. I hope it's not over. But I think it is over. And if I'm Brady, I'm calling up the Colts. And if I'm the Colts, I do it because to me, it would make you neck and neck right there with the Chiefs and the Ravens for an opportunity to represent the AFC in Super Bowl 55 and Super Bowl 56. With that being said, let me talk about my Eagles for one second. Of course, yesterday we released starting linebacker Nigel Bradham, a player who can play both left, middle, and right outside linebacking positions. And a guy who I think the Browns actually could use. He's 30 years old. He had a cap hit of about $8 million, which is just too much for a linebacker. So we cut him. The Eagles have a lot of cap space. But I understand the reason why we're going young and why it is critical for my general manager, Howie Roseman, 
to nail this draft and free agency out of the park. Because the Eagles are in a very unique situation. It's a situation that Seattle was in with Russell Wilson a couple years ago. You have a bunch of players that you love because you won the Super Bowl with them. Awa, Arshon Jeffrey, Nigel Bradham, Nelson Aguilar. You, you know, these guys, it's going to be hard to move off of them because they helped you win the Super Bowl. It's the same thing with Seattle with the Legion of Boom. But they get older. You're not very fast. You're not as good as you used to be. You know you have the coach. You know you have the general manager. You know you have the owner. You know you have the quarterback. But what's wrong? Why are we not 13-3? and three? Why are we 8-8, eight 9-7? Eight, why are we getting beat in the playoffs? Why, why is everybody questioning, is Pete Carroll the guy? Is Doug Peterson the guy? Well, because the team is old. And you need to move out some players that you don't necessarily need to. And you're trying to get young and get old at the same time. It's it's very strange situation. So the Eagles, they need speed, speed, speed at wide receiver. But I would argue, because this receiving core is so deep, you could also do that in free agency with, with Demarcus Robinson from the Chiefs. You need one more speed guy, and you can do it later in the draft. And I like Whiteside to eventually replace Arshon Jeffrey. But what the Eagles need help is, and I've been been arguing this for a while, you could make an argument they need to take a center because Jay, because Jason Kelsey will not be around probably in the next one to two years. You can make an argument they need to improve their defensive line because they're older. They need good young backups. Josh Sweat is not cutting it. Deshaun Hall is not cutting it as a backup defensive lineman. They're going to need young linebacker help, and they're going to need a little bit of corner help. The secondary should look different this year. I The one guy I'd like to see us re-sign is Ronnie McLeod. I, I am not hesitant on this. I think we'll get a deal done with Malcolm Jenkins. I'm not worried about that. I'd be shocked if Malcolm Jenkins is not on this Eagles team next year. So I think the safeties will be fine. I think they'll do a little revamping with the corner. They might take a corner in the first round. Or, heck, the Eagles might even trade down. And again, as I talked about with Cincinnati earlier, trading down is okay. And that's what I've realized now. That's my new theory in the NFL. If you need more than one position and you think you can get it later, trade down. Trade a first for a second and a fourth or two-thirds or however deal you want to do it. And you will get younger if if you don't get those guys in free agency like your Byron Jones or your Chris Harris or your Robbie Andersons. That's what the Eagles are going to try to do this year. I know people were surprised by the Bradham release. I personally was not surprised by it. I think it is the right decision. I love Nigel Bradham. Shout out to you, Nigel, for forever. You helped us win the Super Bowl. You're a very versatile linebacker. But it was time. And now when you look around at this Eagles team, it's going to be what? Carson Wentz, Lane Johnson, Deshaun Jackson, Malcolm Jenkins, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. Most of those leaders are on defense. And now it's time to get a little bit younger on defense. It's also time to add speed to the receiving core. And the Eagles can still be there with the Dallas Cowboys in 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 the NFC East. Excuse me. They're going to still be there in the NFC East. It's a two-legged race because I don't trust the Giants and I don't trust Washington. I think it's down to the Eagles and the Cowboys. And the Eagles still have a chance to compete. But in order to compete, 
They must get younger. I like all the changes on the coaching staff. Carson Wentz's leadership is great. As we have seen in All or Nothing, which, by the way, I'm halfway through, Brandon Graham, great leader. Malcolm Jenkins, great leader. If you have not watched episode four, go watch it. It's the one with Orlando Scandrick. And boy, oh boy, did our team rip him to shreds. So we have great leaders. We have great coaching. We have all of it. We just need to get a little bit younger. And my plan would be to use that out space, get as many good players as you can, and then go in the draft. And again, I wouldn't mind if you trade down, but you must hit on these draft picks. And the same can be true about the Browns. Of course, we know they cut Demetrius Ayers, they cut uh, Eric Kush, they cut DJ Carey, and they cut one more guy. We've Taylor, the linebacker. They're trying to get younger. They need to figure out if Baker Mayfield's the guy. And that's what you do this year. You must hit on the draft picks. So, there you go. That's my take on the Browns, the Eagles, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady. I think it's very logical. Again, I think it's very logical. I don't think Cincinnati needs to take Joe Burrow. I think they need to focus on other positions. And whoever takes Tua and whoever takes Justin Herbert, if it's Miami or if it's the Chargers, I think they're going to have better careers. It's why I think Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen will have better careers than Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold because they're in better positions, they have better coaches, and they have better teams around them. All right, so coming up next, I'm going to be delivering your Kent State basketball sports recap. But also, ladies and gentlemen, Friday night was Valentine's Day, and watching SmackDown... Oh, I felt so bad for Otis. Dolph Ziggler, former Kent State Golden Flash. How could you do that to my man Otis? How could you steal Mandy Rose away from Otis? That was just downright disrespectful. We'll get into that coming up at the next break. You're listening to Brent's World on this Wednesday, February 19, 2020 on BuckSquirrelRadio.com. Keep it locked. We'll be right back. Listeners, do you need a DJ? Our mobile DJ crew is available to pull up locally and spend any request that John Rudd has the vibe you need for any event. Book one of our very affordable professional DJs today by emailing us at bsrmobiledjs at gmail.com. Again, that's bsrmobiledjs at gmail.com. BSR is here for you. Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time of the week. It is time for your Kent State basketball recap. So let's start here with men's basketball. And man, they took a licking at Eastern Michigan last night. They lost 70-49. to They got outscored 40-21 to in the second half. Forward Danny Pimpin had the most points for the Flashes at 15 points. He also grabbed 10 rebounds. The next highest scoring player in the Flashes, however, was guard Mitchell Peterson, and he only had 8 points. The guards, Antonio Williams in 35 minutes. He only had 5 points and 3 boards. That's not going to get it done. Guard Roy Simmons, who had an amazing highlight, top-end dunk this past weekend. Of course, it was on Center. Go watch it. Go on social media and go see it. Troy Simmons dunked over that Ohio defender. Very clean. Tapped in play on Center. But last night, he only had 5.6 assists in 34 minutes in the loss at Eastern Michigan. They have, of course, a big home game versus Buffalo this Friday at the Max Center. ESPN2 will also be on the call. And as you look at the standings as they stand right now, Buffalo and Kent State 
are currently 17 and 9, tied for third in the MAC East Division. Kent State is 7 and 6 in conference play. They started out the year 10 and 3. They got off hot. They've struggled a little bit in conference play, barely above 500. Buffalo is 8 and 5 in conference play. Of course, leading the conference is Akron. They are 20 and 6 overall, 10 and 3 in the MAC. Now for your women's sports. The woman they beat uh, Toledo 87-68. They clobbered them on Saturday. Their next home game is Sunday versus Miami of Ohio. And for the woman, Kent State in the MAC East is currently in second place at 14-9. They are overall 7-5 in the conference, which would be the third best record in the conference behind Central Michigan, who is 12-0 in the MAC. And Ohio, who is nine and three, and as we look at Miami of Ohio, they're four and nine in the conference, eleven and fourteen overall. They have currently lost three straight. Kent State is riding a two-game winning streak. There you go. That is your Kent State basketball report. And ladies and gentlemen, we gotta talk some wrestling because this man will be defending his Universal Championship at Super Showdown against Goldberg. That's right, Goldberg. Indeed, The Fiend is coming for you at Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia on Thursday, February 27th, starting at noon Eastern on the WWE Network. The Fiend, the Universal Champion, will be defending against the iconic Goldberg in a match that I am very much looking forward to. Of course, Goldberg is going to to appear Live on SmackDown this Friday night to hype up that contest. And folks, I hope that this isn't a five-minute squash match. I hope that once they just tear each other apart, I hope that The Fiend and Goldberg actually do some storytelling here because I think Goldberg is going to be around for a little bit. And, you know, obviously this might be just for the Saudi money. But man, what a match. What a build. They're even bringing Hulk Hogan into it. And The Fiend making fun of Goldberg and Hulk Hogan using the Firefly Funhouse. Everything booked for this match so far has been perfect. Everything with The Fiend is perfect. He's exactly what the WWE needs. You know, I was watching the Ruthless Aggression documentary that just debuted on the WWE Network this past Sunday. And then a lot of interviews with current SmackDown executive director Bruce Pritchard. And Bruce was talking about like, hey, you know, in 2002, 2003, 2004, there was no Stone Cold. There was no Rock. They both left. And we were looking for a star. And on June 24, 2002, actually live from at that time what was called the Gund Arena, for all you kids out there, in Cleveland, Ohio, Vince McMahon stood in the ring on Monday Night Raw and basically challenged the whole roster and said, you know, who has ruthless aggression? 
that kicked off the Ruthless Aggression era. And obviously John Cena was the star of that era. But Hulk Hogan in that documentary talked about, you know, every era has stars. Me, Stone Cold, The Rock, John Cena. And thinking about it now, like back in those days, the ratings were really declining. They created the brand split to create competition in themselves after the Monday Night Wars. And I think that this is really nostalgic of what's happening right now in wrestling. Obviously, the ratings went down a lot the last two years. They're starting to slowly climb up, maybe by point one or point two, but they're still climbing up. But WWE still needs to find that next star. And I was thinking about it. They tried Roman Reigns, didn't work. They tried Seth Rollins, didn't work. Becky Lynch, she's really good. But is she enough to carry the company? And the answer is probably no. You need an alpha male. Like, Randy Orton was really good. Triple H was really good. The Undertaker was really good. But Stone Cold and John Cena were the guys. The Undertaker was a really good 1B. But he wasn't 1A. I could argue. To me, there's there's one logical choice. And it's The Fiend. Why? Because, really, as a heel... He gets cheered. And there's just something about him that makes you want to draw to your screen. The old character, the Firefly Funhouse, and the Fiend. Everything about him. He has the look. He has the size. And that's the thing about Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles and these great wrestlers. Seth Rollins could always be included in that. They don't really have the size. The Fiend has the size, the look, the charisma, as we talked about at the start of the show. He has everything to carry the WWE into the next millennium. And I think it is very possible that The Fiend could be our next guy. And I can't wait to see how Goldberg puts him over at Super Showdown. But we don't only have that at Super Showdown. Usually these Saudi pay-per-views are mostly throwaways. They're really nothing. You know, you put a dream match on there like Triple H and Randy Orton or Triple H and The Undertaker. But this card actually has some real stories for the most part and some real feuds, including the fact that Brock Lesnar will be defending the WWE Championship against Ricochet, a guy who, along with Drew McIntyre, cost him the WWE Championship at the Royal Rumble. I'm not a big fan of Ricochet, as you know. I hope he gets squashed because I don't think he has the mic skills to be a champion in WWE. That's my big thing with these guys nowadays. I've been talking about this for the last couple weeks. Yes, I love the product. Raw was, again, really good this week. Not as good as the week before, where it was literally one of the best Raws I've ever seen in my life. From start to finish, I enjoyed it. SmackDown this week, I teased before the break. Dolph Ziggler, our own man, Dolph Ziggler from Kent State. We were so invested in Mandy Rose and Otis and the love story. And Otis, who's just one of us. You know, he's, he's an American. He's got a little belly on him. He loves steaks. He loves weights. He's never had a girlfriend. He sees a beautiful girl like Mandy Rose. And he's like, man, I, I want to ask her out. And then Dolph Ziggler, on Valentine's Day, out of all days, steals Mandy Rose from Otis. Dolph, what are you doing, bro? You know everybody doesn't like that. Everybody in the WWE, heels, faces, everybody was rooting for Otis because Otis is an American. And then in typical WWE style, 
Dolph Ziggler just rips it away from us. And now everybody hates Dolph Ziggler. You should go on Twitter at Eel Ziggler and look at Dolph Ziggler's replies to his tweet last Friday. They're from superstars and fans saying, how could you do that to Otis, man? And that is how, ladies and gentlemen, you get stars over. I was so disappointed. I was so ready for this angle. I was so ready for Otis and Mandy Rose to get married and go on their honeymoon, and they haven't even gone on their first date yet. And then Dolph Ziggler just takes that away from us. Those are talking to our good buddy, Ben Pagotti, who, of course, is a DV2 sports director here. And we have watched wrestling together in the past. He's a big wrestling fan. And I was talking to him, and he was like, man, you haven't watched NXT or AEW in, a, in about a month, eh? And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, he was talking about how great NXT TakeOver Portland was, which I'm sure it was because NXT has great wrestling. But I've said NXT and AEW, to me, became too much of a spot fest and not much of the characters. I said NXT is a few guys I like. Adam Cole, Keith Lee, the whole Undisputed Era, really, and Keith Lee, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, shout out to him, he's from Cleveland. But they don't really work on the character aspect, and same thing with AEW. I think sometimes it really is a WCW ripoff, but they don't really work on the character aspect. Where in WWE, you get these stupid but yet clever storylines when it comes to Otis, Mandy Rose, and of course the thing that happened with Lana, Bobby Lashley, and Rusev Day. Shout out to everybody. Happy Rusev Day on this great February 19th, 2020. I don't know what the heck is going on with the storylines. Listen, WWE is still botching some things up. But my point is it's getting better and I'm enjoying the storylines. And folks, if this WrestleMania card that is rumored to potentially happen comes to fruition. This is the greatest WrestleMania card ever. I'm not even lying. I know all of us wrestling fans say that every year. Oh my God, this WrestleMania is going to be the best year ever. And then it ends up failing us. Folks, let me read to you what is internally down on paper, reportedly. Again, I don't know. These aren't facts. These are just rumors. Don't ever count rumors until they're true. But... This is what is internally, potentially, on the deck for WrestleMania 36. This is what is speculated. We already know Brock Lesnar is defending the WWE Championship against Drew McIntyre, who is already hugely over, and MVP is back, by the way, on Raw. That was a great story. Gosh, I'm loving it. And man, Drew McIntyre already seems like a real threat to Brock Lesnar, and I can't wait. If those two main event WrestleMania, I wouldn't even be mad about it. How about Edge and Randy Orton? And how about Randy Orton swearing on Raw and then basically killing Matt Hardy with two steel chair shots on the steel steps? Now, I know Matt Hardy's probably getting ridden off. I, I've heard rumors that Hardy could potentially be going to AEW. That's another story for another day. But Randy Orton and Psycho Orton is back. There's nothing better than Psycho Randy Orton, I, I would argue, in the whole business. There is nothing better than Randy Orton when he cares, when he's a villain, and when he's working with somebody he respects. We've seen that over the past month with Edge, who is still out. I can't wait to see my man come back and spear Randy Orton at WrestleMania. I just can't wait to see Edge back in the ring so I can scream again like a little girl like I did at the Royal Rumble. So Randy Orton and Edge is on the deck for WrestleMania. Cena... 
potentially has two options. This is what I've read. And again, both of these could be false. It could be anybody, really. But I've also heard, of course, as you guys have already seen the advertisements on Fox, John Cena is coming back February 28th. I think Fox has done a great job with that advertising, by the way. Uh, And I've heard that Cena could face Goldberg or The Fiend. And folks, Cena versus The Fiend literally writes itself. What sent Bray Wyatt on a spiral? Remember when Bray Wyatt was so huge in 2014? Remember me singing in my living room at night, every Monday night? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. What sent Bray Wyatt away? John Cena buried him. Remember? White's Man Standing Match, Payback 2014, buried Bray Wyatt. Folks, The Fiend changes people. The Fiend could theoretically make John Cena a heel. It would be the greatest storyline WWE has ever came up with, and they may do it on accident. A lot of great things, folks, in life happen on accident, and this is one of them. If this thing comes true, my lord, I'm ready for it. Not only that, but what about the Battles of the Spear? Goldberg versus Roman Reigns. That is a dream match, folks. So think about already what we have on this card. Goldberg, Roman Reigns, John Cena, The Fiend, Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre, Edge, Randy Orton. Does that sound to you like a star-studded WrestleMania? It does to me. I didn't even care that half of these guys are part-timers. And I haven't even gotten to The Undertaker yet. And by the way, he's scheduled to be on this card. And his rumored opponent is the phenomenal AJ Styles. That's another dream match. Folks, you want to talk about dream matches? Goldberg, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, The Undertaker. Those are two right there. You had Cena and The Fiend. <sighs> then you add the WWE Championship match and Edge and Randy Orton. And then on top of for the woman, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair are going to tear the house down. Becky Witch and Shayna Baszler are going to hopefully tear the house down. You earned my language in that because I don't trust them together as we saw in the Triple Threat match with Bayley at Survivor Series. So I was very hesitant. But I think that this card, if this stuff all comes together, which again, the Becky-Shayna match is coming together. Shayna Baszler is going to win the Elimination Chamber. Sometimes predictability isn't a bad thing. This match is going to come together. Rhea Ripley and Charlotte is going to come together. We already know Brock and Drew are facing each other. We already know pretty much Edge and Randy Orton are facing each other. If the AJ Styles and Undertaker match happen, if Goldberg and Roman Reigns happen, or at Goldberg and Cena, which would be a dream match, and Roman Reigns and The Fiend, which would also make sense. They can go either way with it. Folks, this WrestleMania, that is, hold on. Let me count these matches really quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven matches. If these seven matches all come together, by the way, we have more matches potentially on the way too because Bailey's going to have to defend her SmackDown Women's Championship. If these matches all come together, that's the seven greatest matches I've ever seen. The, the card is stacked. AEW can't even compete with that. No company can compete with that. WWE is still the top company in the world. It's why every Monday night I watch Raw. It's why every Friday night I watch SmackDown. That card, whether it's got part-timers or not, those are dream matches. That's the difference. Whether you're using part-timers or not, 
if they're dream matches, people will tune in. Goldberg gets ratings. The Fiend gets ratings. Cena gets ratings. Roman Reigns gets ratings. All these guys get ratings. Edge, Randy Orton, they all get ratings. Folks, we haven't even gotten to the New Day, the tag team matches. My only concern is how long the WrestleMania could run. Again, we've talked about this in the past. Potentially them moving it to Fox. Maybe they keep it on the network. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But holy Lord, what are we now? 46 days, if I do my math correct. I think we're 46 days away from WrestleMania. Tampa, Florida. Get ready. Raymond James Stadium. There's going to be more dream matches on this card than Jameis Winston throws touchdown passes potentially next year in your stadium. I was going to make a joke about the interceptions, but then I realized, wait, he throws too many. There's not going to be 30 dream matches on this card. So, get ready, Tampa. It's going to be a bang. And I can't wait to see what happens on SmackDown this week with Goldberg come back. I can't wait to see what happens on Raw next week with the Monday Night Messiah and Aleister Black and Rowan and all these young guys are starting to develop. Folks, in the words of our great president, I think WWE is officially great again. Oh, that being said, guys, we are going to end the show here today. Thank you very much for joining me on this Wednesday, noon to two, BugsGoRadio.com. As always, you guys already know, I bring the thunder, I bring the lightning, I bring all my takes to the table. And until next time, you guys have a good one. Take care of yourselves. Have a good week. Check out all of our content on our website, BugsGoRadio.com. Biology Buddies is next. Peace.